now, as I said, that, those kind of semi-amusing uh, slides are about a very serious subject, which is the battle for life, for our individual Christian life, and for the life of our community in our church, and the battle that's going on worldwide between um, a decaying, weak, unholy, disobedient kind of Christian, and uh, the struggle going on through the power of the Holy Spirit to turn us into the kind of Christians that the Lord wants us to be. Uh, I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 8 to kind of uh, uh, look at some more, um, more texts about this process of, of uh, backsliding or weakening in the Lord. And uh, sorry, I want to look at it's, it's, it's uh, sorry, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, you'll see that. Um, It says in Isaiah chapter 6, first of all, uh, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Did I say Isaiah? Yeah, sorry, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 18. That's on page uh, 753. Uh, okay, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Now notice there, the, we have this amazing contrast. There's a way of, of happiness, of rest for the soul, of peace and of joy. And people say, no, I'm not going to walk in it. And of course, they then have to bear the consequences for their, uh, for their problems. If we, uh, if we could uh, turn over to also to Isaiah um, chapter 8. It says uh, in verse chapter 8 and verse uh, 8, How can you say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame, they shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they've rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Therefore I'll give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So we have a picture of a people that have rejected the, the, the joy and the satisfaction of walking with God. But instead of actually having their souls, maladies properly diagnosed, their priests, their scribes say, no, everything's fine, everything's going well. Peace, 
peace, everything is fine. And uh, so in, at the end of Jeremiah chapter 8, we see that uh, Jeremiah bemoans this terrible fate that, his pe- that are coming upon his people, the judgment of God. He says in verse um, 18, My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is, is, is so filled with dismay at the actual state that the people are in. And he sees them going towards a terrible destruction, the destruction of Jerusalem and indeed destruction of the nation. And he says in verse 22, is there no balm, is there no medicine in Gilead in, in Judah? Is there no doctor there? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And so he sees this terrible fate coming up upon the backslidden people. You know, that last slide of the girl merrily moonwalking, trying to emulate, you know, Michael Jackson, and she stumbles and falls. She might have broken her leg, as it was. She just had a bit of a shock. But how terrible is the fate of people without Christ and without God in eternity? And uh, uh, it should cause us to, to weep tears at the thought of what may happen to people without Christ. But equally well, we may also be sad and sorrowful at our own backslidings. Now, I want to, uh, uh, therefore, think about this question of backslidings. And uh, if I could actually um, say that there is a problem with this word backsliding. When I actually researched it, the first thing I found is this. The first mention of the word backsliding in the English language is actually in the King James Version of the Bible. There's no record of the word backslide anywhere else in in literature before 1611. Um, And uh, it was a translation of the Hebrew word for turn, generally is. Either it's used for a translation for turning or being a faithless person. So, So the picture of backsliding we need to have is much broader than just oh someone sliding back as they're going up a mountain or something or being pushed back. It's much broader. It's thinking all there are a lot of varieties of backslidings, and the way how people can get to the point, like the people of Israel did, were having a close relationship with God, and where God perceived Himself to be in a close relationship with the people, it becomes a horrific relationship. It becomes a relationship where the people that were meant to be the chosen people, different from all of the pagan nations round about who were depraved, who were ruthless, who were murdering brutal sadists. And the people of Judah were actually starting to turn into a mirror image of the people they were, that they were meant to have replaced. And that relationship of love which was meant to be between God and his people and the people and, and the Lord 
had ended in complete, complete breaking, breaking point, such that uh, the Lord was going to punish his people with a, a tremendous political disaster. And we know from the New Testament, of course, that is just the picture of something much worse. Eternal hell. The eternal darkness without the Lord. Now, um, so I'm, well, I'm looking at the varieties of backsliding and its remedies. You see, Jeremiah at the end of the passage says, is, is there medicine in Gilead? Where's the doctor? It's like a rhetorical question. And the answer, you might say, is, well, no, there wasn't going to be anybody. Because this people weren't going to turn from backsliding. But, of course, we know that the New Testament gives the answer. God has got medicine for the soul. He has got the doctor who can bring healing to mankind. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you know, that uh, the well, the people who are well, the people who think they're healthy, they don't need a doctor. I've come, I've come to call sinners to repentance. I've come to bring those who know they're in need of God. I've come to bring them the medicine for their souls. And again, this is very comforting because you may have messed up even this week. But Jesus has come to die, to rise from the dead for you and me, in our weakness, in our sin and guilt, in the backslidings of our heart. Now, of course, this shouldn't make us um, complacent. It shouldn't make us feel, oh, well, that's okay, I'll carry on backsliding, I'll carry on going back to my old sins. No. The Bible tells us about, about uh, this process of turning away from God to warn us of actually uh, what is happening. Now, I have, I've never seen this, but I, I read it so often in the papers, uh, references to uh, the TV program called Traitors, um, that I actually bothered to look it up on Wikipedia. I'm not going to watch it, but uh, it, it took me three minutes to read about it in, on Wikipedia. And it tells us it's a, you know, about 22 players uh, in this kind of so-called reality program that turn up trying to win 120,000 and basically amongst these 22 people who are uh, uh, you know uh, in a few days in this castle uh, there are three traitors who are trying to get these these people murdered in in, in, bra in brackets in inverted commas get rid of them now I just want to to note this that it's a fun game and and so on and, and I'm sure people it's enjoyable to watch um, but actually treachery is not fun uh, treachery is a terrible thing in real life, whether, it, whether it's being treacherous to a fellow human being in relationships, business relationships and other relationships, or whether it be being a traitor to your country. And the Bible talks about turning away from God in, as a treacherous act, as we saw from Jeremiah. And also in the book of Hosea, uh, the Lord compares uh, the treachery of, of people turning away from him as the treachery of uh, a woman turning away from a husband in, or a husband turning away from, from his wife because of immoral relationships. But of course, it goes further than that. When we actually do turn away from God, we are being treacherous to him in every dimension. Not just in love, in the loving relationship that we should be giving him. But we're actually, we're turning away from him in, in terms of our constant behavior, in terms of our covenant relationship, our obligations to God, who sent Christ into this world to die for us so that we should live a different life. And when I have, and I have too often, lived a life unworthy of Christ, I'm being treacherous to that wonderful promise, that bargain that God entered into with his people. 
that he would save us, but he'd save us in order that we should have Jesus as our Lord. I mean, treachery is a, uh, a terrible thing. And, but actually, you know, traitors are, 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 don't just happen like that, as in this game show where you know, three people turn up and they, they, they conspire together to have all these other people killed in the game. Um, but actually, traitors are usually recruited, certainly uh, political spies. Um, and there's someone who will persuade this particular person, either appealing to them they can get money or some political ideology or, or it could be religion or, or something in order to turn them from being patriotic to their country to being prepared to completely betray their country and perhaps allow hundreds of thousands of, of their own country people to die, countrymen and women to die. It happens, though, in a way that is often slow, um, turning someone, and that is a word that's actually used by intelligence operatives in, uh, in, in making someone into a traitor to their country. The process of turning someone often takes weeks or even months. Bit by bit, turning them. You know, Jesus said to the, uh, the people in Ephesus, I know you're enduring patiently, Bearing up for my name's sake, you've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Now you might say, well, well they're still pretty good. Aren't they? I mean, they're, they're suffering for Christ. They're patient. Well, they may not love him as much, but that's not too bad, is it? Well, actually, the way the devil works, the way he recruits his traitors, it's bit by bit. If we lose our first love for the Lord, actually... I guess it's like in marriage. If you lose your love, your first love for your wife, it puts you in a dangerous position because it may be that then someone else will come and replace her affections in your heart if you're a man or his affections if you're a woman. Abandoning your first love is serious. If we, if we don't love the Lord as much or more than when we first became Christians, be careful because other things can enter into, whether it be things or money or people or fame or whatever, to actually uh, cause us to fall dangerously, just like that, that girl in the picture just collapsed in our Christian life. It can happen. It's happened in many of our lives. It's a dangerous thing to abandon our first love. It's a form of turning. It's a form of turning, and that, of course, is why uh, Jeremiah uses it, and Hosea does too, in, in the way the backsliding people uh, turned away to, to idols. You see, the thing is this, is that there is a master of deception, the devil, who has all kinds of methods and ways to turn us away from God. He knows them. He's, he has been operating on souls for thousands of years. He has, a, he has only a finite intelligence. God is infinitely wise and is able to completely uh, manipulate all of the, uh, the devil's tricks. But he is a super intelligence compared to us. And he is able to, to take our weak points and our weak areas and gradually move us away from God. Um, some of you may have heard of the, the boiling frog phenomenon. It's actually a pretty horrible, cruel thing to, to even think about. But it seems that if you drop a, a frog, obviously, into boiling water, <laughs> if it possibly can, it'll escape immediately and jump out if it can get some purchase on, the, on whatever it's, you know, the, 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 the vessel it's put into. But if actually you heat the water slowly, 
you can actually boil the frog alive, degree by degree, supposedly. I think there's evidence that isn't really true, but that's supposedly what can happen. Why? Because the frog doesn't realize degree by degree. It takes half an hour to boil him. And finally, I get, when he's, he's really in, in tremendous pain, it's too late. Now, what is the devil's plan with you and me? Bit by bit to inject sin into our lives to make us unholy in small, the smallest ways possible. And of course, he's got all kinds of ways of heating up sin in our lives. Ah. Uh, you know, our, our leisure activities. It could be watching TV a lot, you know. Bit by bit. Bitterness, lust, greed, rebellion, hatred. All of these things actually can quite easily be boiled up by the TV, as indeed going up the pub and talking to friends. Or various other ways in which bit by bit by bit by bit, he, he starts destroying our Christian lives and we are basically turning away from the Lord as bit by bit we do nothing about uh, these things. C.S. Lewis, uh, I've quoted before this, this fantastic book called um, The Screwtape Letters. He, he, he describes, he says something to this effect. That actually people think, oh, the worst thing you can possibly do is to waste your life on drugs and women murder and this kind of things. Well, actually, the worst thing you can do... Um, or let me put it like this, it's not so much about the worst thing you can do, it's equal to other things that people can do. If we fritter away our lives in unholiness, actually the devil's more likely to cause us to fritter away our lives in unholiness than actually if we murder or do something terrible. Because at least if we do something really awful, we might come to our senses and feel ashamed and terrible and maybe we might call out to God. But if we fritter away our lives on little acts of unholiness, day by day, week by week, month by month, frittering away our life support that comes from the Holy Spirit, becoming hardened to sin, not seeking the fullness of the Spirit in our lives, bit by bit by bit we're dying, although we appear to be living. And so we need to make sure that we're not turning away as the devil seeks to actually turn us bit by bit away from God. I don't know if you've uh, ever had a, uh, a sat-nav that you've left on. You know, you've got a sat-nav on and you've traveled maybe 30 miles to get to somewhere. And uh, you've got to the place you want to go to, but then you know the rest of the way. But you leave the sat-nav on. And because actually you're now moving in a different direction from the place you programmed into the sat-nav, it keeps saying... Do a U-turn in the road and turn around and come back. And, and then it carries on. And, uh, and it carries on all the time trying to point you back to where you've already been to. No, no, that's, I don't want to go there. It keeps pointing you back. Now that actually is what the devil is trying to do all of the time. To divert us from our true destination, which is loving the Lord and obeying him. And all of the time, we, uh, we have the temptation from the devil to turn back our old nature always just little signals oh no we you know don't 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 pray today you don't need to pray today oh, everything's okay oh don't worry about you know the fact you just hurt someone by what you said don't don't apologize and bit by bit the devil has us uh, going in the wrong direction uh, and in fact actually if I just give that other picture of that that dog that's been, that actually is allowing himself to be dragged along. Uh, actually, it's also true that Christians can 
just be dragged along by the current of life, drifting away. In Hebrews 2 verse 1 it says, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away, lest we're just carried along by the currents of this world, lest we drift like everybody else into frittering away their lives on things that really don't matter compared to the really important things in life of knowing the Lord, being a disciple, putting him first, loving people, seeking uh, to bring salvation to, to those people. The writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we neglect the really important things in life and just fritter away our lives, allowing ourselves to be dragged along by the current of this world. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we need to watch and pray that we're not just drifting along, just falling into these small temptations day by day. Because actually, of course, these small temptations eventually become massive entanglements. Uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 2.20, Some people, after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them. And they're overcome by them. And their last state has become worse for them than the first. So let's seek to actually um, not actually be involved in this turning away from God, disobeying his word, uh, not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. Now, I just want to finish by, well, what's the solution to all of these uh, these, these uh, uh, influences in our life that may cause us to turn away from God, even if we're an older Christian? Well, the answer, of course, to Jeremiah 8.20, um, is there balm in medicine in Gilead? Is there a doctor? As I've already said, is that actually Jesus is the one who will heal us. In Jeremiah 3.22, Jer Jeremiah says, or God says through Jeremiah, return, O faithless ones, I will heal your faithfulness. And uh, the reply of Jeremiah is, Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Now, here is this great thing. This evening, we can come to him. Have you got things on your mind from last week that you may have, you know, may not quite have been as close with the Lord as, as you wanted to be? Or maybe you had a big, big fall. Whatever it is, you may come to the Lord and he can heal our faithlessness because actually the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to heal every sinner. Uh, you know, Jesus said that the Son of Man will be lifted up in the wilderness just like the, uh, the, the bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness by Moses and everybody that looked at this bronze snake would be healed from the poison that, that was, was killing them. And how wonderful it is that looking to Jesus tonight, the poison of sin is healed for those who are believers. But the Lord's will is that actually we should be healed from backsliding through means. Uh, we come to the Lord and we receive salvation, but he also wants us in our day-to-day -day life to be able to walk in the spirit, to be live in a in well-being, to have a, a wellness of soul about us. And that wellness of soul comes through means. And, and I just want to go through, to finish, some of the things that are mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 3 
Uh, So if you'd like to turn over Jeremiah chapter 3 to look at some of the means that God uses for the persistent backsliding that we are prone to because, you know, we've got an old nature that can bring us down. Now, the first thing I want to note is this, and this you might find uh, uh, sort of slightly alarming, I don't know, but um, it says in, uh, in uh, chapter 3, verse 23, uh, after, return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithfulness. Behold, we come to you. Now, what do we say when we come to the Lord? Truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. So, firstly, we contrast the darkness of our sins, and, we, and we're prepared to just bring them out to the Lord and say, Lord, I was involved in those. In, in these cases, the, the people of Israel were involved in actual orgies. Well, they're brought out into the open and brought before God. Lord, we did these things. And then notice this. We're prepared to allow to be the medicine, the stringent pain of the medicine of God, of shame, to happen in our lives. From our youth, the shameful thing has devoured, all for which our fathers labored, their flocks, their herds, their sons and daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our dishonor cover us For we've sinned against the Lord our God. Now the world says being ashamed is something psychologically damaging. Freud was full of this. Let it all hang out. You know, nothing to be ashamed of. But in the case of our wicked, self-centered, polluted, unholy acts, the the appropriate response is shame. Now, I'm not here talking about um, necessarily in public showing shame. I'm talking about between you and your God, between you and your Father, between me and my Father, showing my shame, talking about my shame, humbling myself before him. Let us lie down in our shame. Let our dishonor cover us, for we've sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth to this day, and we've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. It is part of repentance to really be sorrowful, and part of that sorrow is shame. And part of that sorrow may result in some occasions in tears. I'm not saying every time, but sometimes it does. And those tears are something that God values. I'm not here talking about mass hysteria where you get whole congregations, you know, getting involved in in a mass emotional uh, effort. You know, I mean, that often is, is false. I'm talking about between you and your Lord in your secret place coming before your God and expressing your sorrow and expressing your repentance and being ashamed for, for how I have been, for how we have been. Now, the second thing I want to note is this, is that in coming to the Lord and to his cross and acknowledging he's died for us and he loves us so much despite our shame. Of course, the Bible says that the, uh, the The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. And I do believe that Paul was there talking in Romans, not just about the first conversion experience. I think he's talking about a continual experience, or maybe it happens from time to time in our lives. A fresh, uh, fresh acknowledgments and experiences of his love that, that kind of 
brings a, a new vitality for our, to our love for him. That why we need not, you know, need not you know, uh, get in this state that the Ephesian church were in where they'd lost their first love. But we have regular refreshments of the love of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Because we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives when we become Christians. He may have withdrawn his influences from us when we're backsliding. We may have uh, separated ourselves from, uh, from the Father and may indeed uh, have been grieving the Holy Spirit so that he cannot, he cannot uh, uh, flow in our, in our inner souls. But when we come back to him, we're told, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, if, uh, if I was talking to a, uh, to a young man of... 19 or 20 and uh, he hadn't seen his uh, girl he was engaged to for some weeks and you'd say well you know make a priority get get and see the girl you love and you'd expect him to want to go and and uh, meet meet the one he loves and he'd be so excited and she might be so excited to spend time with the one they love well that is actually what we you know need to understand is that experience of the, the, the Spirit of God uh, causing the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts. And we should, we should seek and ask the Lord to give us those, those times where we're no longer grieving the Holy Spirit, but we're being filled with the Spirit. And as we're told, the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace followed through from the inner heart with a transformation of our lives. Now, just a few more things quickly. So the acknowledging our guilt leads on to not only just the heart being transformed, but also our behavior. If we could look at 3 verse 13 of Jeremiah, you'll see that um, it says in chapter 3 verse 13, only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord and scattered your favors amongst foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice. And in verse 17, it tells us, it's a prediction uh, that uh, in the future, to, uh, to the people of Jerusalem, and I believe also this is talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, Zion, uh, that we come to when we worship, but also when we come to when we pray. It says, At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. How does the Lord... What means does the Lord uh, do to keep us from backsliding? That we enter his presence, we hear his voice. We obey his voice. We return day by day to God and to fellowship through the word of God. And of course, we use the means of fellowship also to, to find and experience the presence of God. That, that's, why, that's why Christians worship on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. It isn't just because other church members are there. God is here. <laughs> why, why people can't see this? I, I, you know, I, it's quite strange that uh, all over Britain, uh, very few people seem to, to uh, uh, spend a, a, a few hours in the morning, uh, an hour or so in the evening, in the presence of God. But that's what fellowship is about. God is amongst us. Wow. Non-Christian can come in and where the Spirit of God is working, he sees God is there. Now also, Jeremiah tells us that, uh, and if we look at verse 15, he says, um, 
and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied them in fruitful land in these days, declares the Lord, you shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now notice that being fed by faithful shepherds is basically you're hearing the neat, the neat, pure teaching of the word of God. That's what pastors and preachers of all sorts are trying to do. We're trying to bring out the essence of the word of God. And that's the great thing that we have actually not just when we're hearing preaching, but when we read a Christian book, when we read the Bible for ourselves. And that's, that's how the ways in which God causes us to move on as Christians. How many Christian books have you read in the past year? Christian books about the Christian life, you know? They, they can be incredibly encouraging and very revealing in a way that sometimes sermons aren't. Different aspects of the life come out through reading the, the biography of a great Christian. But also you'll see that, that uh, Jeremiah talks about worshipping in spirit and truth. You're no longer thinking about uh, church buildings, the ark of the Lord, uh, this, that, and the other. You're not thinking about, oh, we've got, a, uh, we've got piano-led worship. Oh, we've got a rock group leading the worship. You're not thinking about the externals. You're thinking about worshipping God in spirit and in truth, whether amongst a crowd of a thousand or half a dozen people. You no longer think about that. What you're thinking about is the presence of God you have in that meeting, whatever, in whatever way it's led. And... Uh, we join that learning community of the church and we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42. And uh, the, the Lord, having changed our hearts, leads us in our, in our Christian life. And uh, I just want, to, uh, I just want to, to say that the, the Bible promises us that replacing the heart of stone with a living heart, a living heart, a living spiritual heart, is part of the process of sanctification and growing in the Lord. And uh, I just want to, to notice that uh, Paul, when he's talking to the, to the uh, Philippians, actually, he, he actually uh, uses an expression which is kind of the exact opposite of, uh, I just want to look at it uh, to finish, the exact opposite of turning away from the Lord. So if we turn over to Philippians um, Uh, that's on page 1,164, 65. And uh, Paul says in uh, chapter, um, chapter 3, that's page 1,166, and he talks about his own Christian life. And you see, he's aware that being a Christian is, is not, you don't immediately become complete, mature, perfect. It's, it's going, getting stronger each day. Your love actually is, is growing stronger each day um, if you are walking with the Lord. And so are your other, other um, character properties. So he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's, he's straining, he's pressing, he's saying, yeah, I really want to make an effort to grow as a Christian. 16, let those who are mature think this way. And if anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true. Let's hang on to what we've got. Let's move on from that. Now, that's the exact opposite, actually, of turning away, losing your first love, drifting into sin, becoming more and more holy, holding on to where, where the Christ has taken you to this moment and then seeking to press on even further. And so it says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So may the Lord help us in our Christian lives uh, to be thankful for his wonderful healing of our many sins and our many backslidings, uh, but look forward uh, this week to be, see the Lord uh, helping us to, to press on towards the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Um, let's just pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is given to encourage those who are flops. And Lord, there have been many times in my life, and you have seen it so many times, where I have been absolutely useless and weighed down with guilt, sin, and a sense of sense of despair of my own and my own persistent uselessness. And yet, Father, we I praise you and thank you for the times you've just revived me, encouraged me, strengthened me, cleansed me, healed me, restored me, and moved me on. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will continue to do this in me this week, and indeed. Uh, all of us, uh, the brothers and sisters here tonight, all of us together, and indeed our whole church, Lord, will grow in the knowledge of the glory of God uh, in our lives. And uh, so we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.